Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, it cares Levert. It's cold. Levert. Back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday. Shot clock down to six. Finds one. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you have not already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. And of course, read us over Indie Cornrows as well. We have a lot of great stuff coming up as the season is getting ever closer. I believe it's 41 days from today or 40 tomorrow when you're when you're probably listening to this. Uh, I'm joined, as always, by the lovely Caitlin Cooper, uh, also known as a friend of Outshine. Uh, Caitlin, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I mean, I wish that my announcement of my progress with the Outshine company didn't have to be clouded by yet another tough, sad Jeff Teague day in Pacer land. But alas, here we are. How many times do you think you've sent that meme in the last year? Somebody asked me that the other day. <laughs> I was like, I wonder how sick people are of getting to see this. But I wish I could retire it. I really do. But uh, I feel like stuff it just keeps be. happening. Stuff just keeps happening. It is it now be. my header. It's a header. I have it's your Andy. header now? Yes, oh, I, have an, I have an Andy Warhol that somebody made me of uh, Jeff Teague, sad Jeff Teague. So, oh, that's fantastic. Uh, if, I feel now. like it should just show up in the miscellaneous stats on basketball reference. should be times that sad Jeff Teague was posted throughout the season, just an accumulative stat check there. Um, it seems like useful given uh, you know what we're gauging with that. Um, Obviously today, you know, we weren't, I, we were mentioning this beforehand. I wasn't planning on doing a pod for a little while, considering that everything's pretty wrapped up with the off season. Uh, you know, we're just kind of getting ready for training camp and preseason. Uh, yesterday it was announced kind of vaguely that TJ Warren, just from the Pacers team account that TJ Warren was going to, uh, it, they, they didn't really specify time missed. They just said that he's, um, He's out indefinitely right now uh, as the season gets underway. Um, TJ hinted as well on his Twitter. You know, he's working his, his butt off to get back and wants to be back on court. Um, and then today we had – I apologize to pause. Can you hear my dog in the background? No. Okay. Well, good. I'll, I'll edit that part out. But he's whining like crazy right now. Um, but, yes, and then today we had uh, – Edmund Sumner, unfortunately, ruptured his Achilles at practice, which is uh, not something you ever want to hear for a guy, especially somebody who's in a contract year and had played so well last year. So uh, we have a lot to dive into and unpack here, but uh, I, I guess I'd just start off with you, Kalen. What, what was your reaction to the news yesterday and today? It's a tough start to the season, and the season hasn't even started yet. I mean, it's 26 days until the team's first preseason game, and we already know that two people – at the very least, are going to be on the shelf. I mean, Edmund, likely longer than TJ, or at least I guess I would hope longer than whatever's going on with TJ, because as you said, it wasn't um, – it was rather vague in the update with regards to Warren. It just said that his foot isn't healing as quickly as was expected and that he's going to be out indefinitely. That wasn't necessarily in reference to preseason or the regular season, but at least to training camp. So um, definitely just from both of their perspectives, because I want to keep them at the forefront first. I mean, it's just a bummer. I mean, both of them are headed into into contract years, so you want them to be able to put their best foot forward. And Edmund, 
you know, he's not a stranger to injuries. He entered into the NBA after he was drafted, having coming off of knee surgery and shoulder issues. And he's had hamstring issues while he's been playing, you know, a year ago when Victor was trying to get back on the court, he was rehabbing a broken hand. And now he finally had a stretch of play where he was healthy and for a sustained period. And he had more consistent minutes because of other injuries the Pacers were dealing with to really show what he could do. And while he did miss some games there at the very end of the season, he was back for the play in games. And it's, it's just a really, you know, a bummer. I really enjoyed the Edmund Sumner experience as people know from my Twitter account last year. So for him to hit this type of an injury that we know is tough for guys to come back from, as you say, in a contract year, that's just, I really feel for him. And then as with TJ, I mean, he hasn't played since December, like, and then we have the team, you know, talking about, especially Kevin Pritchard there and the end of season press conference around the time, whenever they were making decisions about Nate Bjorkman's future, just talking about how much the team missed TJ Warren. And now you're potentially entering a season without that same guy again. Like that's kind of a, going to be an interesting dynamic given how much they build up in the off season, how important he was to now be going into a season where you're not going to have him, but we'll get into that aspect of it later. I'm sure. Yeah, I completely agree. It's uh, it's just really tough for both guys individually on a personal level. Um, like we already mentioned with Ed, uh, he played more games last season than his first three combined. And part of that obviously is, you know, the opportunity and being in the G league, uh, to start a little bit, but um, he finally was just able to put everything together last year. You saw what that looked like for him as a player, and it just sucks to see this happen for him. And I just hope that he's able to bounce back and still get opportunities, um, whether that's with the Pacers or, or, you know, that's we can talk more about that moving forward, but um, just feel for him a lot. And same thing with TJ. I mean, it's almost been a year since he's played basketball. Like, I mean, just on a selfish level, I miss watching him play. Like he's probably my favorite player to watch on the team. I mean, I enjoy watching every guy for certain reasons, but like, I just, there's nothing quite like watching TJ Warren flow off of an off ball action into, into an 18 footer. You know, there's just something special about watching him play. And um, I really hope that he's able to, to get back out soon. It seems like, I don't know. It was, I don't want to keep saying that it was vague, but it felt a little bit vague. Like, they're leaving it pretty open-ended. The indefinite is the, uh, the like it may as well be a synonym to to vague in in NBA uh, thesaurus or in the NBA thesaurus. Um, but I guess we can we can kind of bounce off that and go moving forward because this does uh, both these things happening in conjunction definitely changes a little bit of my viewpoint headed into the year. I guess I should I should start off by asking you how does this change your viewpoint headed into the year because. I think it does for me a little bit. Yeah, let's. can we get into just the announcement a little bit? Yes. Because that kind of parlays into what you're asking. Like, okay, so I looked back, and, and I hate myself for what I'm about to say, but using clues from Twitter, <laughs> uh, on it was August 13th when the wholesome and pure tweet, which TJ Warren Oh, that tweeted, was – my favorite tweet of the yes. summer probably. Yeah. I mean, it was one of my favorite tweets of all time. I played basketball today and I had fun. Like that was within the last month. That was August 13th. And then on August 23rd, um, he tweeted, I think was a quote from Derek Rose that essentially referenced like staying locked in through the struggle, which I remember that day when I saw it, I was like, Hmm, you know, I wonder what that's about. Mm-hmm. And now here we are on September 7th and the Pacers are sharing the update that he's going to be out indefinitely which I will hop in here on a 
slight side tangent and say like, you know, TJ then shared his own update and said that, you know, I want to come back and do this right. Like, I don't want to risk cutting any corners and, and rushing the rehab process, which I totally understand, but I will point out that it very much seemed like he and the team were on the same page at least yeah. about what's going on, which is different than what the Victor situation was headed into a contract year, a year, a year ago. Like obviously those circumstances with just overall what the bubble was were different, but at the time it was like, you know, we have, uh, the front office and the coaching staff being like, he's ready to go. He, he looks really good. And Victor was kind of, you know, not only going and, and saying things through third parties in the media, but also just sitting there being like, I don't know if I'm, if I'm ready or feel good to go do this. So um, at least it seems like both sides are on the same page, but circle back to the timeline of things. Like I find myself questioning a little bit, like what was the impetus for sharing this on September 7th? Like they very much could have waited until training camp, like continued to see where this was at until training camp and then provided an update there of like, Hey, you know, he's just not quite ready to be back in full court action yet. Like we're continuing to monitor him, but the fact that they got out ahead of it this many weeks early, it's like either, you know, is it just a dead time and you're hoping to share it now? Or was there something that changed? Because, I mean, you and I were talking before this got on. I know that Scott had in his Q&A, Scott Agnes had in his Q&A at Fieldhouse Files, a quote from Chad Buchanan kind of talking about TJ's overall rehab process where it ended at the end, quote, I don't know where that's going to lead in the short term, but I feel good about having him with the team this year. Like, that really makes me question how long they're expecting him to be out a little bit and beyond that like I just it just feels a little weird that we've gone from TJ Warren was playing basketball somewhere on August 13th to now he's out indefinitely and and Chad Buchanan being interviewed at summer league and saying I don't know where this leads in the short term in terms of you know him getting back on the court and being ready to play so while it's not completely unexpected it just you know, and I'm not equating the two situations because they're completely two different injuries, but just thinking back to when Kawhi Leonard was out for the Spurs for preseason, like they waited till training camp and then they announced like he's going to be out for preseason. And then it turned into a pretty large chunk of the regular season. And that was an injury that he had been dealing with the prior season. And again, they're not the same injuries. I'm not saying these are the two same situations. It just felt interesting to me that this far in advance of training camp, they're already letting people know that he's out indefinitely. I don't yeah. know where you were at on that. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I mean, it automatically came off to me like I, I, I don't want to speculate too much, but I definitely felt like he's clearly hit a setback. Like that probably seems obvious, but um, like that was my initial reaction. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, that, well, that's not good. Like um, if they have this much certainty before they're even getting together for team organized things, then I, that makes me question when he's coming back and, and the duration of it. Um and yeah, I'm not really entirely sure how to view it uh, because we don't have a ton to go off of with this. I mean, we're, we're pulling up, we're pulling up tweets. Like this is like trying to put a timeline together and understand where it's at. Um, I think what I'm just most curious about is um, how this changes the way that they maybe view uh, the upcoming season. Because for me, um, you know, uh, so much of the the selling point between everything was okay. Well, Rick Carlisle is our big free agent acquisition. Um, and now TJ, who the, the team has gone very on record this 
offseason and stating how important he was to, to the team last year and how much it showed that they missed him. Uh, well, with him being gone potentially to start the year, I mean, it basically just from what we're getting, it seems like you're not going to get out ahead of this before training camp if he's going to be with you to start the year. At least that's my read. Um, I don't know. I, I don't – I answered a mailbag question uh, last week on what I thought the – uh, the deadline is the wrong way to put it, but like how many games I would, I would want to see before I, I have like a good feel of the team. And of course that's like, you know, it's a, a little bit of a vague question, but to me, I was like, okay, I feel like 30 games in, we should have a pretty solid feel of where the team is at and what their direction could be for the rest of the year. And to me, this changes that up a little bit. And I think that's, it's the same thing that's just been happening the past couple of years, not to keep equating it back to other years, but, um, having an injury pop up like this, like, all right, well, we've gone three years with the, okay, well, we'll, we're, we we want to see what happens when they're all healthy. I, I just, it's already getting to the point where it's looking like that might not be the case this year, at least early on. And that's a little bit, um, it definitely just makes me have a, even more questions about the team going into the year. Right. I mean, and, and then another question that goes along with that is that, like, does it repaint the way that you view what they did during the offseason? Because like you said, like, and we don't know, like, again, clarifying, neither of us knows anything about this. But if he did have some sort of setback, then maybe you view it a little bit differently because they didn't anticipate that happening. You know, maybe they were expecting that he would be ready for training camp whenever, you know, free agency and, and around the time of the draft and maybe trades would have happened would have occurred. But at the same time, it's like, you know, they're saying in that quote, I don't know where that leads to in the show. Like if they were expecting that he was going to be out longer, you know, it's kind of a thing of what did they know and when did they know it in terms of how mm -hmm. I evaluate what they did during the offseason? Because like you said, like how much longer can you have, uh, can you continue to have hope and continuity that just never fully comes into uh fruition or is never fully there because I mean on the one hand it's like yeah I'm, I was surprised today when I saw that Edmund Sumner ruptured his Achilles and that made me sad to see that and I was also sad to see that TJ Warren was going to be out indefinitely because ultimately you want all of the good players to be able to play yeah. you don't want to see guys go through injuries but at the same time I can't say I was totally surprised because when you look at the way this roster is constructed like and some of this is you know being a small market team and the types of guys you're going to be able to get in free agency a lot of it's built on the margins of them being able to get guys of like okay that guy might have an injury history but we're going to take a chance and that's why he slid in the draft like they got Edmund in the second round because he did have injuries at Xavier or they have you know got TJ Warren in trades he's only played more than 50 games in a season twice in his career like Malcolm Brogdon has a uh, long injury history I mean and whether we like it or not like Karras has had multiple foot injuries we just had Miles miss the end of the year indefinitely because of a toe injury that we now know from his own account was very hard to rehab to the point where it affected his physical and mental health. Like, you know, this is kind of just the state of where the Pacers are at when you're banking on a core that has, you know, these sort of long outstanding issues to be dealing with and whether how, what the wisdom of it was to continue hoping that they're all going to be reasonably healthy at the same time. And I think that's a question that a lot of fans that I've seen on my timeline are kind of asking and weighing of like, you know, was it the right decision to not go ahead and, and, and make moves during the summer, which we've gotten into before, but 
you know, like you said, it definitely extends the timeline once again. I mean, that was the first thing I wrote in the TJ Warren update. Like they've yet to see the starting five play a minute and they're still potentially may not if, if things don't progress well in training camp or if he doesn't think that he can get out there and play at the beginning of the season. So you're still not seeing it fully out there. Like, I, I don't know. It does, I admitted, like I tweeted earlier today, it does make me look at the offseason a little bit differently, especially if they had some advanced knowledge that they didn't think he was going to be ready to play. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Um, I think, I feel, yeah, already during the offseason, I still felt like they needed to make moves, and I think this just kind of solidifies that for me. It's uh, it's interesting because I, I think sometimes I get really caught up in, uh, like, uh, I, I, this might not be like the best analogy ever, but like, I think I get so like caught up in thinking about my own way of looking at the team or like being so in depth with it that you don't think about some of the smaller things um, or things that maybe feel like more obvious to us. Cause we're, I mean, you and I are emailing about this at, at 10 PM at night sometimes, like, because it's what we're thinking about. Like I was talking to my dad the other day and he's very casual basketball observer. Um, and I, I, I mean, I told him, I'm like, yeah, yeah, TJ Warren's going to be out to start the year. I don't really know what that's going to look like. And he's like, well, isn't that better for like, I mean, the Pacers have so much depth they can deal with it. And I was like, well, no, I mean, yes, in some ways, like if you're missing your sixth or seventh man, you can kind of live with it because they do have a lot of depth. But I mean, they're a team that you it's harder to re- replace one of your starters if, if you don't have a quote unquote superstar because you lose a lot of the f- same higher ceiling ability that you have by having all five of those guys together. And um, it just made me think a lot more about how it's difficult with the current team construction. And even then, like to go off that too, like I keep getting brought up to me, like, is there something wrong with the training staff? I'm like, well, no, like I understand that it's fun to make jokes or whatever, but like from anybody I've ever talked to, the training staff is extremely well-respected. And a lot of it too, is just like you mentioned, like Edmund Sumner was an extremely injury prone guy at Xavier um tj warren has had injury struggles his whole career domas has had some injury struggles as he's been in the nba i actually think he's probably the most durable out of the, the core um i mean uh, just count down the list i mean part of the reason the bucks didn't want to pay malcolm brogdon was due to injury concerns um so th- that's just kind of what happens when you have a core built like this and that makes it even more so like okay well waiting for this core to be healthy together when their average games played in a season is like 60 is um it's just tough to see how that's going to play out on paper um and obviously seeing it happen live here too so yeah i agree that's kind of a, a little bit more rumination on that but yeah i uh i think in going back and looking at the offseason I, I still kind of feel about the same but uh i feel like this almost reinforces it in some ways yeah i mean i would note that uh i do think that they are better equipped to weather his absence, TJ's absence oh, definitely. now yeah. than they were last year. I mean, definitely. when they entered into the season last year, they basically, the entire roster was combo guards and wings. And now like, yes, like Duarte, I think is ideally a two, but like he didn't seem super bothered at summer league. He looked like a guy who was ready to play. And beyond that, they, they did not have O'Shea Bursett at the beginning of last year. They did not have Tory Craig, who are guys that can play at the four, like Justin can shift up to the three, like, you know, maybe now this might reshape even, you know, the end of the, the roster spot there. I know Keelan's contract doesn't come fully guaranteed until the first game of the regular season. Maybe, you know, Edmund and TJ both, if they're both going to be out, that might change how they see retaining him. We're at, you know, against the third string point guard issue. And then it might even change the way that you're looking at Jeremy Lamb. I don't know. 
Um, because that was the one thing with Edmund Sumner. Like, I mean, I know you and I had talked about on the prior podcast that I had said, like, you know, Shea and Edmund both had really good years or surged at the back end of last season. And would they, you know, be in the rotation? Because when I was looking at it, you know, you got the bench, you have TJ McConnell as the backup point guard, you got Goga as the center. And you got Justin, hopefully, at the three, and then one of Tory Craig or O'Shea at the four. So I was kind of looking at it as, you know, Chris Duarte, Edmund, and Jeremy Lamb potentially at the two. And, you know, are you going to have to play Jeremy? Because it sounded like the team was trying to move him. Were they going to need to play him in order to kind of juice his trade value? Now maybe some of that viewpoint changes because you could potentially be down two wing guys, but like, I don't think it shifts a lot for you with regards to Edmund. Cause I don't know that he was necessarily guaranteed to be in the rotation. Like, I'm mm-hmm. not saying he wouldn't have been, but I think he would have had to prove something at training camp in order for that to happen. But it definitely does short you some depth. Although, you know, you do have Dijon that they signed to the two-way contract that, that can provide somewhat of a facsimile of some of the stuff that Edmund does, if you really got into a pinch, but that's a whole nother conversation. Like, I think that they're, they're better equipped to weather it. It's just in the long term, it's an interesting dynamic with what, like we said at the beginning of the podcast, like they really made a point to underscore, like part of the reason that last season went the way that it did is because we didn't have this guy. And now you're potentially starting the season and you don't have that guy. And it goes back to, you know, getting fans excited about this team again, which obviously isn't the whole point of the podcast, but again, it feels purgatorial. Like it feels like once again, it's groundhog's day. Like last year they started the season with like miles Turner and trade rumors and the double big thing and a coaching change and TJ Warren being out. And now once again, it's a year later and you're starting the season and TJ Warren's out and there's another coaching change and miles Turner was in trade rumors and the double big thing still is lingering out there. So it kind of feels like, when are you eventually going to get off this carousel? I mean, for lack of better terms. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of ways we could go with it, but I think what I want to dive into, like one of the aspects I was kind of thinking on, and I want to talk to you about just like looking at how this plays out rotationally. Like you mentioned with Ed, um, like I I agree. It seemed like he was kind of on the outside looking in for the rotation. Like he's not going to play ahead of Chris Duarte most likely. Like he wouldn't have played ahead of Chris Duarte most likely because he was the 13th overall pick. Like you got to get him run. Um, They had talked. I mean, there had been reports of them wanting to shop Jeremy. So like that, I mean, actively shopping Jeremy, I should say. And like, there's, okay, well, are you trying to, are you going to boost his trade value somehow by playing him early in the year? Like, um, it should, it would, it was hard to see his, his route to playing time, at least the same kind of playing time he had last year with the TJ injury. I was thinking about that last night. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. I think there's a real avenue for Ed to play now. And of course, unfortunately that happened today, but, um, I think in some ways, uh, this feels to me like I was already, I mean, I was, I was working on writing something about consolidation. Um, this is going to be more about consolidating kind of the middle or, or back end of the roster, but I think this does open up something more towards, you know, a little bit earlier, or I should say deeper into the season towards the trade deadline, like opening something up for a consolidation trade. Cause we've talked about on, on the pod, like this team needs to make a consolidation trade. There's just, um, it's good to have a lot of good players, but you still have to be able to play all those guys and optimize them. And um, it's just hard to envision. Okay. Like I, I was talking to to a friend yesterday, like there's just mental math that goes in every time I try and think about the rotation, like, okay, well, how is Goga getting minutes? How is, how is Sumner getting minutes? How is Duarte getting enough minutes to warrant, you know, from a guy who's a, who played that well at summer league and 
is a lottery pick. Like, how are you doing this? How are you doing that? And you're still trying to be a winning team. How do you get the right amount of minutes for your starters? Like it's a massive balancing act. And it, like every team goes through that, but this team has like when healthy, legitimately 13 or 14 guys who deserve NBA playing time. So I do think in some ways, maybe that opens things up um, because just due to the nature of having to bump guys up in the rotation. Um, I mean, I think going off of that, I would immediately ask like, who do you think would who who would who, who do you envision starting? Like I uh, I think there are a lot of ways that they could go with that, and we're not gonna have a definite answer. And I imagine that they'll probably try out a couple of things in preseason. But um, who who would you tab as the initial starter? Or I guess we could just go through each guy and kind of talk about some of the warrants there. But yeah, I mean, I I think it's still the the core four. I mean, it'll be still Brogdon, Lavert, Turner, and Sabonis because yeah. if you don't start those guys, like. I'm kind of back to circling back to what are we doing here? Oh yeah. Yeah. But, my bad. I meant to just say at the three or, or whoever yeah, three and or the four. spot and the, and, and for TJ. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, because of the way Rick Carlisle's offense is, and especially the way they want to end quarters where they're running some of that guard to guard stuff. And, and that kind of requires somebody that can shoot off of, you know, a running slip and some of the other stuff that they do, it leads me to believe that you would be looking at either Justin or Duarte in that spot. And of course you would want to evaluate what is, is it reasonable to expect that a rookie, even though, you know, he had a very impressive summer league is ready to make that type of a leap right off the bat. Um, if not, then my leanings would probably be back toward Justin, even though it wasn't ideal that he was playing a larger role last year, just because with Tory Craig, um, he can shoot the three. He shot it decently last year, but in part, some of that's because teams don't necessarily guard him all that tightly. And I would need to see more from him. Like what I wrote in my article, like he doesn't always have the best sense for when to move in conjunction with his teammates. So I kind of see him as a guy that like, you know, maybe in certain lineups where you really want to be switch heavy, or you have a matchup that would suit him guarding it better. I could see that. Um, maybe some sort of a flex starting lineup, but uh, that was that's kind of the way that I would envision it going, unless they just feel like they don't want to overstress Justin. Um, but that would be my leanings. That then you'd have the bench if, if if you don't feel good about Duarte, you would have the bench with TJ and and Duarte and Tory Craig and O'Shea Brissett and Goga as your second grouping if there even is room with Goga, depending upon how much they staggered um, Miles and Sabonis. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I feel like in some ways, uh, I don't want to just necessarily say that it, it opens up more minutes for, for Goga, but it does feel like in some ways, like um, it's going to be, because, I mean, you remove a lot of TJ minutes at the four, at least to start the year um, that you would maybe picture. Um, and I think that that at least opens up a couple more, more minutes for, for playing double big and unless they view, uh, view it in a different way, but it seems like, you know, that was something they went to a little bit last year. Again, it's a different coaching staff, but there's opportunities for it. So, um, that's something for sure. Like, obviously he's not starting, but I, I would agree. Like, I think, um, I would like, I, I think they could definitely go to Justin and he probably makes the most sense in terms of somebody who fits more seamlessly along three uh, alongside the other four, um, and being able to slot in defensively, but um, it's just interesting because, like, I think you can automatically look at last year and be like, okay, well, I imagine that Rick is going to be, you know, a little bit better at, at managing the minutes and, and not overtaxing Justin. But even just playing, like, I mean, 
even playing regular starter minutes, it's hard because it felt like he was struggling with regular starter minutes because he just played like a stretch of like, you know, 11 games playing 38 plus minutes. And that's kind of what led to his, his, his downward spiral a little bit in that stretch last year. Um, I agree. Like Tory is definitely like, he's a lot more of a four to me offensively, even though he's three sized. Um, he just doesn't quite have the same offensive skill that, that you would be getting from somebody like Justin. Um, but again, like you could, okay, maybe Duarte takes up that, but then you have questions. Okay. Well, what does that mean defensively? Like, I think, uh, is, is Malcolm guarding at the point of attack a lot more, uh, because that we saw how, I mean, he was effective at that. He's good at guarding up a position, but that's also asking a lot out of somebody who's running so many actions for you. So yeah, it definitely brings up a lot of questions. Um, and one of the things I liked that you brought up too, um, I do, this is just my gut feeling, but it feels like it makes it more, uh, possible that they will, um, guarantee uh keelan martin's contract uh because i think just in terms of looking at immediate wing depth uh going down two guys with with size i mean even if you want to say i mean that length i guess you, you would say for ed but like keelan uh especially you know given what he did on, on the back end of last year i do think it makes it at least more likely that they will get his contract guaranteed yeah i mean you bring up an interesting point with the point of attack defense because they're already at a part where think that that is in part like not just Justin guarding up a position but there was lots of times last year where Justin was the one guarding the one so that Malcolm could be guarding the three spot like Justin was guarding Colin Sexton so that you know Brogdon could be off ball because he was struggling in those situations so I mean it would be similar that if if they did think you know we want to start Torrey Craig because we want to do more switching or whatever it is like Tory can Tory can play against ones. I mean, there was times last year with Milwaukee and uh, Phoenix where, like, in the games against Denver, he matched up with Jamal Murray. Like, that's something that you could do. And then Malcolm could be guarding the threes. I mean, I ultimately think that Duarte's best defensive skill set is going to be his ability to play on the top of the two side or on that single side high bump and be able to really be using his anticipation skills in that way. But, um, yeah, that was something I was going to be interested to see from TJ Warren if, if they would lean into more of his on-ball defense in that same way. So, yeah, I mean, they have options, and I'm not opposed to – I mean, I know you definitely want lineups to be able to gel, but in this particular circumstance, if they're going to keep the team as it is and and try to make do until whenever TJ can come back, I'm not opposed to having that spot be a flex spot based on matchups or what you think you need in that given moment um, because we know – like, especially now that these two injuries have happened, like, I, I think Duarte is going to be getting his minutes. It's just a matter of what's going to be best for his development and what they think that he's ready for, which isn't something I feel totally equipped to answer yet until we've seen more and see some of how he plays with his actual teammates in preseason. Yeah, no, I totally agree, um, especially on Duarte getting minutes. Uh, and it's just – it's it's uh, – it's, it just comes down a little bit more to some of the same issues that the team had last year. Like, um, like you're mentioning, like Justin taking some of the smaller guards um, and Malcolm playing up, like it's just, it, 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 you, you lose a little bit of that same lineup versatility that the team had in, in 1920, like with TJ Warren being able to go out and, and guard Luca and, and guard LeBron. And again, it's not even like necessarily that he's amazing at it, but just having somebody with the size and the ability to hang with somebody, at least for some possessions, like, uh, you just lose a little bit of the versatility that that you kind of need, but yeah. You know, and we'll that's where how. you that's where you would lean because, like, I mean, mm-hmm. like I said, Tory Craig had that the defensive game he against had against Paul George in Game Six of the Western Conference Finals was tremendous. So if you had a matchup like that, 
where you felt like, you know, this is an elite bigger wing and we need somebody who we think can guard him better than that's who you, I think you would lean on in that particular, you know, type of a situation. Cause I think that would be putting your best foot forward, but uh, I don't know how Rick Carlisle will feel about having multiple different lineups, but that might be something I would look at. Yeah, definitely. Um, one thing I've thought about too, that's interesting. I feel like this definitely bumps up O'Shea Brissett's minutes as well. Um, again, I mean, I, I think we both agree that he's more of a four than a three. Yeah, he's a, a lot is going to depend on uh, what that means for his shot. Like, I mean, his shot really is, it, that's one of the things that I'm really interested to see this year. Obviously he didn't shoot well at some really, but he played three games. So I'm not really taking much from that. Um, but in terms of, you know, what he's doing from three is going to matter a lot for him, but uh, he is that other guy you can say, okay, well, I can sl- see him slotting in and playing uh, a little bit more of some of the point of attack stuff. But also, I mean, he was so good as a backline roamer last year. Um, so it's, it's definitely opening up a lot in terms of some internal development. But um, I guess the next thing that I would ask you as well, like, how do you feel about uh, – I, I don't want to say that it's like a, an issue for for TJ to come in midseason, but um, in terms of – seeing what the team is going to be like, you know, however long they are without TJ uh, that, I mean, we saw that with Vic adding Vic back in. And again, it's different because Vic was higher usage. He needed the ball a lot more when he first came back, or at least was demanding the ball a lot more when he first came back uh, than TJ's usage normally ever is. Um, but I mean, that, that, that is just another kind of herky jerky thing that, that you have to picture and, 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 and look at, okay, well, maybe they, they play 10 games without, maybe they played, 15 games without him. Who knows? Maybe they even, maybe he does start the regular season. We'll see. But um, regardless, you go all this time gelling together, practicing together, and then you have to add somebody else in and, and shake things up. And that changes how the usage hierarchy is going, how the everybody's getting their shots. And again, it's not always like picturesque like that, but um, it is definitely something I'm curious to see how it plays out for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that the it's a case of it's the potential again for it to be another segmented season, which I think creates an adjustment period for everyone to be adjusting from one role to the next and with a different teammate on the floor. I think the one thing that benefits them is like while we point out a lot that the starting five hasn't played together, various combinations of the starting five have played together. Like Karis and TJ haven't played a single minute together, and that's kind of the number one dynamic that I'm interested to see is how the two of them get used because – I still think that Brogdon's ultimately going to be the primary ball handler and you're going to be seeing more of Karras in the way that I kind of wrote about a year ago and and predominantly what Bjorkren did before Malcolm Brogdon went out, that you're going to use him on off-ball actions to get to on-ball outcomes and to get to screens in that way. I still think that's ultimately what they'll end up doing, just taking context clues from various things that have been reported over the summer. And then, you know, how does TJ Warren fit in that particular scenario there's not a direct comparable that you can really look at within the Mavericks offense and be like oh okay I'm going to look up how they use this guy because that might be how they use TJ but the one thing I will say when you watch a lot of stuff they did and even in summer league when you watched it is various roles were very much plug and play like I say a lot of the time like the the guard play is is very team ball and how that they use guys and not that TJ is going to be a guard but like you know one time, like what we said up top, like one time Chris Duarte might be the back screener in a Spain pick and roll, and the next time he might be the ball handler. And I'm not saying you're going to see a lot of outcomes of TJ Warren necessarily being the ball handler, but in various sets, because there is a little bit more randomness to it, I don't think that it will be super hard 
for TJ like to step right into that. Whereas the last two seasons, while some of it was like, you know, Bjorken wanted to play with multiple ball handlers, but there was very much sets under Nate McMillan and Nate Bjorken where it's like that set is run for that guy, like until that guy's gone. And then, okay, like, you know, TJ Warren's out. So now we kind of use Victor Oladipo in some of the TJ type sets. And now Victor's gone. And now we kind of use Karras in some of those types of sets. Like, I think that when you watch a lot of the Maverick stuff that that multiple guys can be used in multiple different roles. I even noticed that with O'Shea Brissett. I mean, there was a few times where even he as more of a four came off of a double drag, which was like astonishing because he logged like less than 20 field goal attempts off of a drive last year. Like, and he didn't do a lot of that in the G League either. So to see him being used in some of those roles, I think it is an indicator that they're willing to, to mix some different stuff up and, and stuff with the exception of maybe Sabonis, because I don't see a lot of guys running some of the the high post actions that I wrote about earlier, at least not as well as he does. I think that the stuff surrounding that will be fairly interchangeable. And that was a pretty long-winded answer. But I, I think that the transition when he comes back, whenever it is, won't necessarily be as bumpy as what was the case with Victor. And and some of that, of course, will depend on him. Like some of the reason it was as bumpy as it was is because Victor was getting a lot of shots and he just wasn't close to being himself with what you're referencing. Like he's a higher usage guy He's getting those types of looks and he just, you know, was a diluted version of what he was, but you're not expecting that exact type of thing from TJ. So I think that it has the potential to be smoother. I think another thing that's interesting though, is that, you know, I, I don't think it was necessarily reported locally, but I think Kevin O'Connor at the ringer and then a reporter from Cleveland who is talking about, uh some like you know the Cavs need wings they're very short on wings and we're talking about guys who they had heard were available on the trade market and both people brought up TJ Warren like I know Kevin O'Connor mentioned that the Pacers had looked into trades with Miles and TJ and again I never saw anybody locally mm-hmm. um confirm that stuff but it is kind of interesting knowing all this that we know now that you know he's going to be out indefinitely and potentially you know they were looking at every outcome with who they might've been willing to move. And then also the aspect of TJ is entering a contract year. And as we mentioned before, like he's not likely to take that extension though. Maybe if he's, you know, considering what the long-term outlook with his foot's going to be, maybe that changes his opinion a little bit, but it it seems like he's going to be willing to bet on himself. And, and how does that shape how the Pacers even view him this year? Like to a certain extent, like, is it going to be, are you going to be willing to chance it going into free agency next year? Like, I don't know. So, I mean, the entire TJ Warren thing is kind of a bit of a question mark right now. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about that too, in terms of contract, like I thought it wouldn't be entirely unreasonable if he gets, I didn't think he'd get a, a max obviously, but like somewhere close to that. Like I could, if, if you told me before yesterday that TJ was, you know, if he played as well as he did, uh, two years ago and, uh, maybe had like a couple of slight improvements that he got offers of like four for a hundred, like that wouldn't really surprise me at all. He's six foot eight can score from three levels and can handle the ball and play defense like that. Those guys get a lot of money and he's coming out. I mean, he's still in his prime right now. So it does bring up a lot of questions. Well, what does that mean for him and his contract extension? And, um, the kind of deal that he's going to end up taking. But again, that's really far out, but I agree. Like I, it's something I was thinking about too. Um, and mainly I just hope that, cause I always want to see guys succeed and get as much money as possible. Um, 
I really hope for TJ's sake that he's able to he this doesn't uh end up as a roadblock for him. But uh yeah, it's definitely something worth monitoring because like especially like we looked at with things with Vic, like it seemed like not just it seemed like Vic's injury was uh definitely more severe, but I mean that I mean Vic very quickly went from being a guy who was on track to a max contract to being offered four for eighty four and then taking a minimum like a year later. So again, it's not the same thing, but um, contractually things can change up a lot due to injuries. Yep. Yeah, I mean there's a lot to watch there between when he is going to be ready to go and at what point you know between now and the trade deadline, if, if you don't think he's going to agree to that. And hopefully, like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, it seems like he and the team are at least on the same page at this point about being cautious with his timeline and his return to play and uh, being in communication on that. But it is something to think about that there is potential if he's going to want to bet on himself of how the team approaches that headed into this season. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, well, Caitlin, is there any anything else you want to hit? I think we've hit just about everything off this. Um, but if there's anything else you want to add, I'm, I'd, I'd love to talk more. No, no, I think we've covered everything that that we can reasonably talk about without knowing more. Mm-hmm. I'm headed into media day. Hopefully everybody enjoyed this pain cast about the Indiana <laughs> Pacers. Yeah, we'll, uh, I'll just title it the Indiana pain cast. Um, that's how it feels. Uh, but yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully it's brighter news from here on out, and, and hopefully TJ should be able to get back as soon as possible. And also prayers up to Ed because that just sucked. I was uh, that kind of ruined my mood today, to be completely honest. Um, Definitely a really downer for him. Yeah. Um, well, Caitlin, this has been uh, a blast. Obviously, it was just blast talking to you, not the not the content, but um, always appreciate it. To everyone listening, of course, follow Caitlin and everything she's doing. Uh, she just wrote a really great article on Malcolm yesterday and, and talking about structure um, that I would highly recommend going and reading. Um, and most importantly, just have a good rest of your day. And thank you for listening. <laughs>